So I think Graham thought I was going to be getting particularly thirsty during this sermon today. So we're going to be in for a long one, it seems, um, if I'm going to be getting through all of this. Um, Well, good morning. And I I just thought I'd ask how are we getting on with our Christmas jumpers? I, I see a few here. Yes, excellent. And those that haven't got them, you should be a bit jealous because these are warm. And um, that makes us warm in here. So you've still got plenty of time to um, get out some of the old jumpers, shake off the dust or whatever, or um, have a look round. You might see one which tickles your fancy. And it'll be great to see some more of the festivities coming in here. Um, but this morning, we're going to be carrying on and looking at our King is Coming. And last week, I just laid a little bit of the foundation to explain how God's people had asked God for a king. And God, in his grace, in his mercy, he said, okay, I'll let you have what you wanted. And so God chose, not God, the people chose their king. And they chose King Saul, who was everything that you'd expect of a king. It said that he was tall, he was handsome, he was a great warrior. He certainly would have stood out well compared to the other kings of the nations who God's people were looking at. But it turned out that King Saul, he didn't have the spiritual tools to lead God's people in the way that they needed to be led. And so God then chose for God's people King David, or David at the time. And David, he had the spiritual tools in the sense that he was somebody that was after God's heart. He longed, he said in the Psalms, to dwell in God's house. And within King David, we began to see a sense of what it meant for God's people to be under the lordship of God. And yet, even David, we found, wasn't the king that his people needed. Because although he longed to be with God, he still wasn't able to get over the brokenness the humanity that was inside him. And so we then finished with a final king. Not necessarily the king that the people asked for, or maybe not even the king that they'd hoped for, but it was the king that they needed. And actually, this king can be best described most succinctly in Galatians, where it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law. If you want a short version of the Christmas story, that is as short as you're going to get it. And in many ways, this passage, it's full of the ordinary and it's full of the exceptional. Born of a woman, born under the law, well, that is describing humanity. It's describing the reality that all people were born under a woman. And that being born under a woman into God's creation, it means that they are therefore subject to the laws of God's creation. But also within that, there is also an inherent vulnerability, an insufficiency to that of what it means to be a human. 
And we actually get a better understanding of what that actually means if we go back to the book of Job. Because in the book of Job, Job was going through this this time of crisis where he was really being challenged with what does it mean to be human? What is the point of everything? And so in his speculations, he was thinking, what does it mean to be born of a woman as a human and to live in the world? And so we see several times he talks about that reality, which captures this idea of vulnerability, of what it means when Paul said that this person that was sent was born of a woman. It says in Job, a mortal born of woman, few of days and full of trouble. He said, what are mortals that they can be clean? Or those born of women that they can be righteous? How then can a mortal be righteous before God? How can one born of women be pure? And isn't that the reality that we've all lived with? A recognition that from when we are born, we are born with an innate brokenness, a vulnerability, an insufficiency to save ourselves, let alone certainly save other people. And in that statement, it captures everything that made the human kings that God's people chose, or anything else that we place our trust in, insufficient. Because in this reality of being born of a woman, as it describes, we cannot capture that full picture of what it means to become right with God. What it means to live a pure and obedient life with God. And yet, when we go back to Galatians, and this is the exceptional. It says, God sent. And it says even more than that. It says, God sent his son. And in that, we have a promise. That when God sent his son, the king that we really needed, that in that, we had the birth of a savior in the flesh. But not just any savior. Not somebody that was caught under the trappings of what it meant to be human, but God's son himself, the ultimate sacrifice. And I already need this water, so maybe we will be getting through the full jug after all. But then, when we think about this statement... I can't help but to hone in in born of a woman. And who is this woman that is going to be bringing this saviour that God sends into the world? And as Graham was sharing earlier, this woman, of course, is Mary. And it makes me think about the amazing blessing, but the impossible task it would seem that Mary had been set out before her. And it makes me wonder, well, how would Mary have felt about this? Because it's so easy when we read these Christmas stories to just know them so well that we just gloss over these details and we don't just take a step back and think, whoa, hang on a minute. 
What if I was in her shoes? Mary came from a humble family. In many respects, they were lowly within that culture. Yes, she was part of a family from the descendants of King David. But there were also loads of other families that were also descendants from King David. In fact, there would have been other families which would have been in far better standing to maybe have thought maybe they would have been a better person to choose in this situation. Mary was young. How on earth was she going to be the person that was going to deliver the future saviour of the world when she was a virgin? In that very act, there was a complete and total impossibility. How inadequate was she for the situation to give birth to the saviour to the world? What did she have to offer the world? Certainly, if I was in Mary's shoes which is very hard to imagine. But if I was, I know I'd be thinking, this is absolutely impossible. And I wonder how often, though, we feel like that when we're blessed and we're privileged to hear amazing testimonies about how people have worked, how God has worked in other people's lives. And then we listen to these testimonies and we think, cool. I would love to even have a fraction of that happened in my life. And sometimes it can make you feel a little bit of a sense of, well, will God work in my life? Has he worked in me as amazingly as how he's worked in this other person? And is that because maybe I'm insufficient? Maybe I need to be doing something more? Maybe I need to be preparing myself more and yet I think whenever we might feel like that when we think about how everything that we have is so impossibly inadequate to be able to offer into service then I think that in Mary we have an example that actually God uses the least of what we have and turns it into something immeasurably more And so I wanted to tell you a story, and I just want to warn the person on the visuals not to bring up this person until I reveal who it is, because it would spoil the surprise. I like suspense. Um, And it would be interesting to see whether whether any of you might guess who this person was. Some of you might know him. He was born in 1809, and um, no... I don't, maybe you won't know him. Um, He was born in 1809, and at three years old, he was playing with some tools in his father's workshop. And unfortunately, he actually managed to catch his eye with one of these tools. And that meant that he lost sight in that eye. But when the doctors came and looked at the eye, they were not able to control the infection, which went to the other eye. And by the time he was five years old, he'd lost complete sight in both of his eyes. Now, I can't possibly imagine what that would be like. 
When he was older, he attended a blind school in Paris. And it was actually whilst he was at this school that he was inspired. You've got it. I might see a few more people thinking I've got it. It was, it was whilst he was at this school that he was inspired by the army captains. And they'd been using a method of writing messages to each other overnight so that they could read through it. And he'd been inspired by this and also his own experience of learning how to read. Now you're probably going to get to work out who this is by touching the actual letters in the book. Well, he was 15 and his name was, and the grand reveal on the screen, um, Louis Braille. And it was 15 when he invented the Braille language, which provided an ability for this whole world to be opened up to people that hadn't been able to experience what it meant to read and communicate in that way before. What was amazing about Louis Braille is that he never sought glory for his system. In fact, he often, when spoken to, gave the credit to the army captain, which was the source of his inspiration. It turns out that he was known for his sacrificial and charitable heart. He was a devout Christian, and he was an organist and would play at several different churches. Well, in many respects, it was his most unusual circumstances that led him to gift Braille to the world. A gift which continues to give to so many people today. And here we have an example of something where what is seen as a tragic circumstance, which might mean that as a person he may have felt written off by the world. And yet in them circumstances, God was able to make so much. He was able to bring so much out of what he had to offer. And I think Louis was like Mary. And like Mary in the sense that in order for him to offer that to the world, the first step was his willingness to do that. And if we look at Luke chapter 138, after the angel had come down to Mary and said the impossible to her, her response wasn't, whoa, I know somebody who's a long distant cousin who's going to be much better at this than what I am. Or actually, I don't feel ready right now. Maybe you should come back in two weeks time or two years time or four years time. Instead, she said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. She offered herself the little that she had to God. And God used that in an immeasurable way. And I think in there, we also get that sense of what it means to dwell in the Lord. To sometimes just focus our attention not on what can be or how our aspirations grow in terms of what we think we can do for the Lord. Sometimes we need to first just learn to dwell in the Lord, to wait expectantly, 
to be prepared for the time that the Lord is going to say, I now have something for you to do. I think that's something we can all learn from. Because even when we feel insufficient, even when we might not have a clear sense of where God is guiding us into the future, we can always dwell in his presence to take that time to get to know him better, to learn what it means to really be one of Jesus' disciples. And I think we'll find that if we do that, then that will be the preparation that we need for when God calls us into action. We might find that if we don't take that time to dwell in the Lord, to create that space to listen to him, that we might even miss entirely what it is that he's calling us to do. Mary was blessed in this. And I think that this blessing in many ways is offered to us, but it's not because of anything that she had to offer but it was because of everything that God made possible through her. And then I think we can learn another amazing lesson from Mary. Because Mary wasn't just willing. She also treasured this opportunity that God gave to her. And it talks about that in this very chapter It says in chapter 2, it said that when Mary had heard all of these things from the shepherds and the amazing story about how they came to find the baby Jesus, it said that Mary treasured all of these words and pondered them in her heart. And don't you love that? This idea that she was listening to all of these amazing blessings and she was treasuring it in her heart. And think of what that was doing to her heart, what that was doing for her life. And then later there was then the story when Mary and Joseph experienced the same episode that pretty much every parent have experienced at least one point in their life when they lost their son. And this time they'd lost the son of God. So this was a, a pretty big thing to lose, wasn't it really? They'd been in Jerusalem, they'd been visiting the temples, it would have been part of their annual um, processes in going through, and then they're on their way home, and I'm pretty sure I can imagine it, Mary would have said to Joseph, where's Jesus, he was last with you, and Joseph would have said, I thought he was with you, because that's what pretty much every husband, I think, does. Um, And then they thought, ah, where is Jesus? And then they went looking for him. And then it actually was three days later that they then were back at Jerusalem and found him in the temple. And that that story, it reminds me of the story. I can't really remember it, but it's the sort of story which gets told around the tables, especially this time of year, of myself when I was younger. And my mum said about a time that they'd gone into a supermarket, and it was like a Toys R Us or something like that, so full of toys. And um, mum had worked her way through, and I'd obviously got distracted, and they hadn't noticed that they'd moved on, and I hadn't moved on, until they'd gone out the door, realised that I was missing, and then they came back in to the shop, and then they went through to the person at the counter, and they said, oh, we've lost our son. And so they were like, okay, what, what does he look like? Like every other child, you can imagine, short, brown hair, so on and so forth. Um, and so they said, well, he had 
a toy machine gun. You can talk to my parents about that if you meet them. Um, it, was a, it was a toy machine gun, an AK-47 apparently, and the security guard thought that was hilarious. So he announced over the tannoy that if anyone sees a young boy with an AK-47 to please direct them towards the reception. But I think we all have memories like that of this reality of finding ourselves missing something and in sometimes very important things. And, and here was the same thing happening with Mary and Joseph. And then when they came back to Jesus, they found that Jesus was in the temple. And that you can imagine this, this, this young boy and everyone in the temple that was with him were just, just completely focused in on him, wrapped with attention to what he had to say, completely unusual for them circumstances. He was sitting among the teachers, it says, and that he was listening to them, and then he was asking their questions. This, this is no ordinary boy, is it? And it says that all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And then what does it say? His mother treasured all of these things in her heart. I think there's something so precious about this idea that she wasn't just willing, she wasn't just obedient to Jesus, she hadn't just prepared herself, but then when she'd been called into action, she didn't do that grudgingly and she didn't do it grumbling. Instead, she treasured the journey that Jesus had called her on. And I think this reminds me of what David was expressing in the Psalms when he was singing about what it meant to be dwelling in the house of God. Because when we're called into service, it's not just about what we're doing for other people. It's also for us as well, that it renews us, it invigorates us. It allows the spirit to work within our hearts. And I think sometimes in order to recognize when God is working within our lives, we need to work out ways to tune into him. Especially today when everything is so busy, we need to work out what works for us to tune into him as well. We need to work out how we can capture the kind of memories that we're building with God. Because it's so easy for us, like I did earlier, to share a memory from our childhood. And often these memories aren't things we remember. This is us just being caught in the moment as our families and our friends share these memories. And then they become a part of us. And you'll find that as I'm here over time, you'll hear my memories again and again and again. Until you've heard them at least sort of like a dozen times. Because we all do that, don't we? And these are these stick-out memories which have happened during particular milestones during our life. But I wonder how many of their memories do we have for our walk with God? How often do we take that time to really try to capture 
these amazing memories. Just as I'm talking about it now, it reminded me of one of the particular potent memories for me, which was very significant in my feeling a sense of an ownership in my profession of faith, having been brought up in a Christian family, was when I was privileged to hear Joni Erickson Tadar at a FIEC conference, who, if you don't know her, she was an amazing athlete who unfortunately had an accident when horse riding and lost most of her feeling in her legs and her arms and became a paraplegic. But through what happened to her, she was able to come alongside so many people and become an amazing influence within our lives, including myself. That is a God moment, a memory, which is so important to capture and treasure. And we should all be doing this. We should all be thinking about how we can treasure and store up these blessings in our lives like Mary did. Because Mary was an ordinary, lowly, humble woman who God did the impossible through. And he's shown time and again through his scriptures and as we continue in this grand story of God's people today, that he is constantly doing this. He is taking the smallest amount that we have to offer, which happens to be the exact amount that he needs in that moment to do so much more. It makes me think of the young boy in the feeding of the 5,000. You could imagine when he came up with his lunch to say, I've got this to offer, and the disciples would be like, what? This is all you've got to offer? But he was willing, and he stepped forward, and then Jesus turned that into imaginably more. And here in Mary, we have the woman, through all who in the fullness of time God sent his son, born to Mary, who came to be our king. Not the king that we were necessarily expecting, not even necessarily the king that we hoped for, but certainly the king that we need. And so now I'd just like to finish by, we're just going to have a time of reflection. And we're going to be having a video that's playing, and you should be familiar with the song. It's Mary, Did You Know? And I think it's good just to take the time just to listen and really capture what the song's saying. And then whilst that's playing, you'll then see that it's also going to play through the nativity story in the background. So that will be coming up on the screen before we then carry on during our time of worship. <laughs> 